The Old Pilot's Plain Tales, Captain Al and the Spotty M. In the previous part of Captain Al's story of the demise of his airline, Monarch, he described the lead-up to the day they finally shut their doors. In this final part of the interview, we hear of the heart-rending effect that the closure had on the employees. When you were on the aircraft chatting to your crews in the last few weeks, uh, what, was the, what was the word going around? I guess you were a centre of attention. They all wanted to know what you knew. Yes, and I was very honest and said, yes, we see the accounts, but we don't know what the company plans. We couldn't elaborate, obviously, because we were subject to confidentiality clauses, but we weren't privy to any information other than the simple numbers. Now, anybody who comes from an accountancy background will look at a set of accounts and go, well, you can interpret that many ways you choose. Um, We knew that there was money in the bank, and that's the two things that an airline needs to be successful, money in the bank and passenger confidence without those two elements you don't continue as an airline. We knew there was money in the bank, but we also knew that that money was disappearing at an alarming rate. Business is a tough world, and when when your competitors know that you're in difficulties, they put the squeeze on, that's just, that's life. Um, So, you know, ever increasingly we were being pushed harder and harder, and, um, you know, in the final summer when I saw advertised prices with one of our competitors of Birmingham to Tenerife and back for £20. You know that that is just putting the pressure on. So the crews uh, just carried on regardless? Absolutely. It was that typical British, stiff, upper lip, stoic. Uh, The cabin crew, to their absolute credit, gave top-class customer service in the last minutes. Yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. When it came to it, it actually was better organised and better uh, informed than a lot of airlines that have gone bust where crews have been abandoned down route and nobody knows what the devil is going on. So when it actually came to it, what happened? Well, we were very lucky in some respects because as a purely short-haul airline, um, we had no cr- crews that were night-stopping. Um, outside of the UK. So the company's CEO made the decision that he as a director of the company could no longer legally allow the company to trade because it was going towards an insolvent position. It still had many millions in the bank but the burn rate was so high that it was unsustainable so he made the decision to put the company into administration that effectively means that the the managers of the the business can no longer manage it and put it in the hands of an official appointed administrator. The CIA of course were heavily involved and the decision was made that a rescue would have to be put together for the many passengers who were stranded and the CIA needed 24 hours to get that in place. So we flew our final day uh, basically with the administrators and the CAA sat in the background calling the shots. Um, And in many respects it was just a normal day at work. We didn't know when, you know, the the guillotine was going to fall, when, when it was all going to come to an end. So it was in many respects just a normal day. No, so there was a there was a good reason for not 
trying to advertise the fact that they were going to close the doors? What was that? Well, there, there was um, a couple of reasons, really. Obviously, um, once it becomes into the public domain that the company is going to fold, then you create widespread panic um, within the passengers. And of course, it becomes a fait complete. No one is going to step in at the last moment and make an offer. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it has to be kept quiet. Um, in the very last few hours, um, we became very aware that there were about nine aircraft leaving Qatar for UK bases for Monarch Airlines. So it became very apparent that the CAA had put into place their rescue program and various other airline aircraft were being positioned into the UK. And there was just a feeling um, that I had. I did uh, Leeds-Bradford to Barcelona and then back to Leeds. Um, the weather on the final night at Leeds was forecast to be truly awful. So I phoned uh, the operations supervisor uh, from Barcelona to discuss what we were going to do if the weather was unsuitable at Leeds. The logical alternative was to go to Amsterdam. And bearing in mind that I'd been for, with the airline for 17 years and it was a small airline, so we knew everybody in, in ops and crewing, um, met them face to face. They weren't just anonymous people and we weren't just numbers. And we had a very, I don't know, almost coded conversation um, where she said to me, Al, I really want you to take the aeroplane into Leeds. Um, and I kind of took that, that I knew that if we diverted to Amsterdam, we were going to have to make our own way back from Amsterdam because once the aircraft had landed that night, there was going to be no more airline. And then we also started to get information that during boarding, uh, the Manchester Ibiza flight was cancelled. Now, as you know, once you've started boarding passengers, it's exceptionally unusual to cancel a flight. And at the same time, all the fares on the website just changed to ridiculous amounts to deter people from buying tickets. It was a, a damage limitation exercise by the CAA. And um, I remember flying into Leeds with a, quite a considerable amount of fuel. The conditions were truly awful. Um, and then landing and not really knowing if that was going to be my last landing. Having a feeling it probably was. Um, and taxiing the aeroplane, um, it's always pretty much remote parking at Leeds, so other aircraft had been remote parked, which was a very big clue to other crews. Um, and of course there was effectively a, a communication silence. You're not going to advise a crew in mid-flight that they're going to be out of a job the following day. That's, that's not going to happen. Um, so when I landed, we taxied the aeroplane in, disembarked the passengers as normal. Our engineer got on board and I said to Rowley, who is a good friend, what do you know? And he said, I don't know anything. And I said, I think this will be our final conversation. So he said, well, it's kind of looking that way, isn't it? So I said, yeah. So I got the crew together and um, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I thanked them for their hard work and suggested that if we see each other again tomorrow, it might be different circumstances, but let's keep our fingers crossed. And um, I kind of loosely suggested to them that if they wanted to take a few mementos off the aircraft, then I wasn't looking. 
uh, it must have been quite an emotional goodbye. It was because it was kind of like 75% knowing that that's it and 25% hoping it isn't and that you've not done this, you know, sort of semi-rousing speech that's everyone's looking at you. But we all kind of knew. And indeed, in the early hours of the following morning, we all received an email from the CEO saying that the airline had ceased trading. That must have been a gut-wrenching moment. It is. Um, the best analogy I can give, and I apologise in advance if it's slightly obtuse, but it's like walking in and finding your wife in bed with a stranger. It's You kind of... You're reading it or seeing it, but you're not really believing it. Even though, and I know that from the outside world, people go, well, you must have known, you must have known. But you always had that little bit of hope that it wasn't true. Well, so many airlines have been to the brink and then recovered, yeah. been rescued. Uh, it was quite likely that someone might have been found, so I can understand that. Having had that dreadful news, the realisation, did it hit home? Well... Uh, we were effectively summoned by the administrators, KPMG, to attend meetings that morning. You know, bring your company iPad, your IDs, um, etc. Return all company property. It was um, all very clinical. Um, and I'd been operating out of Leeds, but I was kind of torn, really, because I wanted to just go home and explain to my wife and son that Daddy didn't have a job anymore. Not the easiest conversation, but um, it was better that they heard it from me and not from someone else. Oh, absolutely. And then it was a case of just going to this meeting. And it was like going to a funeral, really. Um, so many people had been there for a lot longer than I. And there was no doubt that it would change everybody's life in that room. Um, for the pilot community, because of the timings, we were reasonably convinced that we would get jobs elsewhere. Of course, they weren't going to be the same, not necessarily in the same seat, same pay, same base, you know, complete upheaval of life. For many of the cabin crew, Monica had been a very good supporter of cabin crew and uh, made provisions for, you know, maternity, having children, flexible working. Um, because it invested in its people um, and these cabin crew knew that, that going to a new airline and starting afresh it wasn't going to be like that so they were faced with a stark realisation that they were going to probably leave aviation and you know as well as I do Nick that it's very unusual even after the heaviest of parties to see cabin crew you know devoid of makeup looking pretty unkempt but many of them had literally come from their beds you know no makeup or washed away with tears um, just stood there in a complete state of you know shock disbelief and extreme distress and uh, you know there were many many people crying um, guys girls pilots cabin crew there was no um, there was no differentiation really and we were just subjected to a very clinical speech by an accountant saying just to let you know that you don't have a job and um, that, you know, there will be compensationary payments from the government but don't expect them anytime soon and no, you won't get paid anything that you're owed. So for some people they were completely out of pocket, had no way of paying the mortgage of that Absolutely. month or, or their food bills. Yeah. 
and the world had just dropped out from under them. You know, we all put a little bit of money away for a rainy day, but um, when you suddenly go from, you know, having a reasonable income each month um, and having nothing, that, that rainy day money whittles away very quickly. And of course, being the sort of airline that it was, there were many couples who both parties worked for the airline. So, you know, a double whammy. Oh, wow. I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess the statement was quite short, but what did people do afterwards? Um, it was just like a funeral. People just sort of milled around, hugged each other. Um, then the brutal reality of life kicked in because people had obviously driven to the airport. Um, the meeting at Manchester was uh, in a hotel. And when people went to leave the hotel, said, well, you need to pay for the car park. You know, that's £12. You know, there you are, you've, you've lost a job, but, you know, business is business. Yeah, all the sort of things that you used to have that were taken for granted, yeah. everything disappears. Yeah. We also obviously had uh, various staff members who were away on, on holiday or vacation, um, and quite a number of them had uh, used staff travel, non-RAV travel, so uh, one of my responsibilities uh, was looking after that for the pilot union. So I ended up phoning up various airlines and saying, look, we understand that Monarch Airlines is no longer in operation, so therefore the staff travel agreement that we have is null and void. But could you kindly consider allowing our guys to come back? How, how were the other airlines? How did they react? As you might expect, um, the airlines that we had close relationships with, so I'll give you an example, uh, Virgin Atlantic were absolutely brilliant. It was just a simple yes. Dealing with some of the Middle Eastern airlines where you're trying to work your way through to the right person who actually has the authority to make the decision was somewhat more difficult. But we did get everybody back. And the passengers, of course, uh, the Civil Aviation Authority had aircraft in place and they did a pretty good job of a uh, quite a large repatriation yeah, of passengers. Yeah, the largest repatriation of people since the Second World War. Yeah, the only, uh, the only criticism I would have of the CAA was perhaps they crowed about it a bit too much. It was like it was a real achievement, a feather in their cap, when forgetting the fact that the whole reason it was happening was because an airline had gone bust and thousands of people had lost their jobs. Absolutely. Um, I think that um, it wasn't their finest hour from that point. Um, they saw it as a, as a huge success and um, I don't think that anybody um, should uh, adopt that sort of approach under those circumstances. Um, you know, in sport, um, we're always very magnanimous in victory and we always shake the hands of the, the losing team and we, you know, we don't gloat in their faces and I think you're absolutely right in your comment about that. So it's a year on down the road now, have the wounds started to heal? I think that most people have moved on but as you may have detected in my voice there's still emotion and there always will be I think. It's, it's very difficult and I I find it difficult to quantify to people on the outside, but it is a bit like losing a family member. And yes, as time goes on, you know, it gets easier to talk about. But, um, you know, you always still remember that person, that airline in my case. And for some people listening to this, they think, well, it was just a job. Yeah, 
Um, and I can understand that viewpoint, but for me it wasn't. And I think for a lot of us who have a degree of uh, affinity to our employers, and you know, we're being through thick and thin, um, you don't just see it just as a job. No, we, we invest a lot in our airlines uh, and we get a lot back. But uh, we don't just pitch up to work and do the same job as anyone else. Sometimes we go way above and beyond what is really required. And we often get the same back. So yes. I can understand it's much more of a, uh, a relationship than it is just a work job. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Now, I, I just wanted to finish off by asking you how things have gone since. I, I gather um, you're working and um, things are on the up. How, how has it turned out for you? Um, I have to be honest, if there was ever a time for an airline to go bust, um, it was October last year because the pilot market is so buoyant. So fortunately for me and my colleagues, we've been able to gain employment elsewhere. So I was lucky to carry on flying the same aircraft type in the same seat. Now, for me, it's not a case of um, the prestige of being captain. It's more a financial aspect. Captains get paid more, so it was important for me um, to stay in the higher-paying seat, crude as that may seem. Um, but, you know, we have bills to pay, um, retirements to pay for in advance. Um, so things have been good for me, and uh, regular listeners to the show will uh, know that I work for a short-haul uh, European airline and um, I have absolutely no complaints. Um, they're a great airline to work for. Would I still like to be at Monarch Airlines? For sure. Um, but where I am now is a great alternative. I won't say second best, that's grossly unfair to my current employers, um, but they're a great alternative and they've looked after me very well as they have done for many of my colleagues. And the same can be said for a lot of other airlines. Of course, um, they were fortunate because they were inheriting some very well-trained and extremely experienced guys um, but also some airlines bent over backwards to give our guys jobs which me and everyone else is extremely grateful for. Many of the cabin crew found that life outside aviation is a lot tougher than they thought it was. Any final thoughts looking back on your life with Monarch and on how it all ended? I think probably I could sum it up with they were the best days of my flying life. Enormous thanks go to Captain Al for telling that story. And my apologies again for the audio, not quite up to our usual standards. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guys show podcast. Find us at airlinepilotguy.com. Music by bensounds.com